uh, I'm going to read just one verse out of the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 44. We'll deal with that, uh, that little verse that, that has a big message to it. I trust our time together will be a blessing that you'll be edified, but more than that, God will be glorified. I uh, hope to stay close, real close to my outline, but I, I, I've hoped that a lot of other times I didn't quite achieve it, but I'm going to try, I really am. Jesus said again, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Father, we're thankful this morning the privilege of being in the house of the Lord. What a joy it is, like David said unto me when they said, Let us go into the house of the Lord. I'm thankful for what we find here, for who we find here, for the blessings, God, that that you bestow upon us the encouragement again, the exhortation that I hear from others, the word of God that is that is shared, the songs that are sung, the testimonies are given. I just love coming to the house of the Lord, and I'm glad you're here in the midst. We're thankful for this word, for this message, God, and for how that you want your people uh, to know, Father, the day and the hour that we live in and what your plans are for the day and the hour that is just yet ahead. Father, I pray that you would just touch this old lump clay. God, give me that special touch that, that uh, makes the Word of God to be quick and alive. It is on its own. God, I want the preaching that I do to be in the power and demonstration of the Spirit. May it find the Word, a lodging place in someone's heart, and may someone, God that doesn't know Christ, come to know Him as their Savior and the free pardon, forgiveness of sin. Whatever's accomplished, God, for this time that we spend here in worship with thee, we give you the praise and glory, the honor for it all, we ask it in the name, that name, hallelujah, it's above every name, in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, and all of God's people said, amen. I'm going to talk to you this morning in a little while about the parable of the hidden treasure. I want to remind us that this is the fifth parable that Christ has given to us, recorded here in Matthew chapter 13. Expositors, commentaries, preachers believe there's eight, and if you do, that's fine. I just hold to the seven, and it is, it is, though it's the fifth parable, it is the sixth message in this series that we have preached. When we began this chapter, chapter 13 of the Matthew, we find early in verses 1, 2, and 3, maybe that when Jesus was here, he was at the Sea of Galilee speaking to a group of people when he gave the first four parables. But here we find that he had entered into a house and was talking, was talking to only those who were his disciples. He entered into the house, no doubt, of a man by the name of Simon Peter, whom we know quite well. And Simon Peter was just next door to the synagogue of Capernaum of that day. But what I want us to remember, if you'll look at verse 9 or verse 43, this is what we ought to remember anytime I think we're listening to the Word of God, but especially these parables because Jesus felt it important enough to record it two times. He said, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 9 Verse 43, so the message in this passage, the truths that we find in these great parables are significant for you and I. And the seven parables found in this chapter are divided into two parts. And this 
message today begins the second division. The first four, you, you know, as I've already said, was given to a crowd gathered outside near the Sea of Galilee where Jesus expounded on the parable of, of the sower and the seed, of the parable of, of the tares, the parable of, uh, of uh, the grain of mustard seed, and the mystery of of the leaven and boy I'll tell you what they're all important you know what I believe those four parables show as much as anything the effort of Satan to destroy the kingdom and the failure of man on his own to produce a friend something without the aid of God and these last three show God's plan and purpose being worked out perfectly in this age you say, what is, what is this age, preacher? This age and these mysteries of the parable of the kingdom of heaven have to do with this age that you and I live in. It is known as the church age. It is the dispensation of the grace of God. And while Christ, being rejected by the nation of Israel, postponed the kingdom that he was to set upon planet earth and that he still will set upon planet earth. He wanted us to know what would transpire and happen between the time of his rejection and his return. Hey, get this. I believe his return is nigh at hand. I believe that. So within these parables, we can see, and if you got your Bibles, turn to these verses. I, I'm going to read several passages today or quote them, but I want you to lay eyes on them. 1 Corinthians 10, 32. In these three parables, I believe we can see what Jesus or what Paul was saying here in this, in this phenomenal verse. Listen, if you want to rightly divide the Word of God, you cannot rightly divide the Word of God without knowing 1 Corinthians 10, 13, without applying it and putting certain scriptures, friend, in the right place. Listen to what Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians 10, 32, giving none offense to the Jew, the Gentile, nor the church of God. Those are the only three groups of people that God Almighty recognizes here on planet earth friend and listen I know you're not a Jew you are a Gentile but the best place to be in this day and this hour is in the church of God that he's purchased with his own blood you see God recognizes the Jew and the Gentile and you say uh, and the church of God you say how do they go along with this parable well let me tell you I'm glad you want to know I'm going to ask it even if you didn't by the way uh, do you know what it shows it shows, listen, friend, the treasure. In the Jew, we have the treasure. In the Gentile, we have the good fish taken in the net at the end of this dispensation. And in the pearl of great price, friend, we have the church manifest. I love how the Word of God comes together and, and uh, teaches about itself. Now, this fifth parable is about a treasure. If you remember in the first message that I preached, the purpose of parables, every parable has a single message that it wants to convey. There are different parts of it. There are different things I'm going to look at in this message and highlight. But there is generally, and I'll even say always, one main point, one main idea that the parable that Jesus in using parables wants to convey. And in this parable, friend, it is a parable about a treasure. 
Can I tell you very quickly, long ago, God chose a man of the name of Abram, found him in Ur, the Chaldees. His father was a priest of the Midianites. And Abram, no doubt in my mind, was soon to be the priest after his father. You know what he was? He was a Gentile. Abraham, the father, now listen, God's got a great sense of humor. Abraham, the father of the Jews, was not even a Jew. Isn't that amazing? He was, he became a Hebrew because he stepped across the Euphrates River. Hebrew means he who crossed over. That's pretty good, isn't it? And God chose him. Said, look, if you'll just believe me, if you'll just believe me and obey me, I'll make you a great nation. I'll make a covenant with you. And Abraham did that. And through Abram, God raised up a little, but mighty nation from his seed. They're known as the Jews. And God gave them the land of Israel and the city Jerusalem as their capital. And let me say it again. God gave to Abraham and his seed the nation of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, regardless of what the world said. You say, why is that important? Well, look, friend, I'm telling you, God's in control, not man, not the UN, not the G20, not the global alliance. Listen, friend, I take a biblical worldview of the world, and I don't care what politics and global policies say. Listen, that land is not occupied. They own it, thank God. Hey, man. Well, that felt good. That felt so good. I want to say that again, but I won't. It's their land. They talk about them being in the, quote, Occupied territory. Y'all know that's a slap in the face of any Jew on planet earth. So change your terminology if you've been saying it that way. Hey, can I say something? I mean this with all of my heart. If I had to hold my paper up and I was typing this, and I don't always type out. You know, it's, it's pleasure to be able to read what I wrote, by the way. I wrote this. Allow me to say there is no people or place on planet Earth more important than the nation of Israel and the people that occupy it known as the Jews. Let me ask y'all something. What would we have if it wasn't for the Jews? Nothing. Y'all know that through the Jews, we got a Messiah. Through the Jew, we got the Word of God. Through the Jew, we're blessed. Through the Jew came our Savior. Hey, friend, I'll tell you what. And look, the devil thinks if he can destroy that nation, he can... He can foul up God's plan and prove God to be a liar. But I want you to know, friend, it's written in eternity past that God chose the people that He's blessed and going to bless. Amen. They are the nation of Israel, the Jews. Now they failed in their divine task. God has established for them. Please listen to me. God's not forsaken them. As we turn to the book of Romans chapter 11, and he never will. When Paul was writing, and we may, by the grace of God, and praying about it, it was suggested or requested that we look at the book of Romans in our, in our Wednesday night Bible study after we get done with dispensations, and we may very well do that. Some people think 
Paul messed up in chapter 9, 10, and 11 by inserting what he did in there about the past, the present, the future of, of the nation of Israel, the people of God. But can I tell you why Paul put that in there? He put that in there to assure these Gentiles at Rome that God not only, uh, not, that God not only could speak, but God could keep his promises that he made. Look at verses 1 and 2 in chapter 11 of the book of Romans. I say then, Paul said, have God cast away his people? Look at the next two words. I've got it underlined four or five times. God forbid. You know what that means? Perish the thought. Don't even think about something that stupid. Paul said, God hath not forsaken his people. Hey, everybody listen. Everybody listen and say amen. Whether you're looking or not, say amen. God has not, not abrogated his kingdom. God has not changed his mind about um, the kingdom that he promised David he simply postponed it and everybody in here that's saved say amen you ought to give a good glory hallelujah because God during this age is choosing out of the Gentiles a bride for his son and that means me and you well there's so much in this message to preach Man, there's so much in this to preach. Look at what it goes on to say. For I'm also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Look at verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. You know when Paul says I wouldn't have you to be ignorant, you know what that means? They're ignorant. He said, I would not have you to be ignorant. That means they are. I would not have you to be ignorant of this mystery. Lest you should be wise in your own conceit. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. You say, what's that mean, preacher? Well, let me tell you. The fullness of the Gentiles will happen when the last individual that hears a gospel invitation says yes and God, listen, gets the number that he knows he's going to get in this age of the church in this grace dispensation that will make up the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, just exactly like he said in the book of Acts chapter 15. He, he said, listen, and after this he'll return and set up the tabernacle of David, but we ought to rejoice that blindness in part has happened to them that we might be brought in to God's plan in the way, the gracious way that he has. Now listen, I've told y'all for weeks now, for years actually, we're living in an amazing time. We're watching, we're watching prophecy come to pass right before our eyes. Can I tell you, friend, listen, Israel is God's timepiece. Israel, you want to keep your eye on Israel, that little nation right there in the midst of, of a multitude of Muslims. You, you ought to keep your eye on them. Listen, friend, they're back in their land after 1,900 years being buried or hidden in the world or, the, or among the nation. And they were buried and preserved among the nation because they failed to recognize and receive their Messiah. But although they're back in the land, they're back there in spiritual blindness. And thank God that's about to change pretty soon. Look in the book of Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Are y'all praying? Maybe not. Verse 24 of the book of Luke chapter 21. Now I'm going to read verses 21 down through 24, but I really want to highlight verse 24. In Matthew chapter 
24, verse 3, I believe it is, after the apostles, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, asked three questions, they asked, when shall these things be? And that is a direct reference to Jesus said, look, you, you see all these great buildings that you all were bragging on? Look, I'm telling you, there's going to be a day come that not one stone will be left upon another. So when shall these things be? They went on to ask two other questions, which will be the signs of thy coming at the end of the world. The first question was answered here in Luke 21. The other two in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 17. But listen to what Jesus said in answer to that question. He said in verse 20, When you shall see Jerusalem compassed about with armies, then shall you know that the desolation is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea, this is a direct reference to the city of Jerusalem, to the nation of Israel, and the people known as Jews. Let them flee to the mountain, and, and uh, it let them which are in the midst of it depart out. Let none of them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But look what he goes on to say. But woe unto them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days, for there should be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and here it is, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be drawn down to the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now the times of the Gentiles began when Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem in 525 maybe. I forget when it is. You can look it up. I'm not good on numbers. And since that time until today, Jerusalem has been under Gentile power. Now, everybody get this. Newsflash! Regardless of what the Muslim world says, regardless of what the UN says, Jerusalem is the capital of the nation of Israel, hands down. Hands down. If I didn't have anything but one verse of Scripture in the Word of God about that, and there are multitudes, I believe the word Jerusalem is used over 400 times. It's never in reference to the Muslims. Take that home. That'd be worth coming to church right there. God's going to keep His promises already had. Look, they're hidden, they're buried among the nations, even today. But God said, listen, He knows where they're at. And even in this day of great diaspora, they're still the special treasure of God. So look, let's for a few minutes, let's consider this treasure. Stay with me now, I'm getting close to the end. Not really, but I, I just hope that helps you when I say this. How, how, do you, how do you know, turn to the book of Exodus chapter 19, how do you know that Israel is that special treasure? Can I tell you all something? It's not a secret. It's just that a lot of people don't know. The Word of God is the greatest commentary on the Word of God. I read a lot. I mean, I read a lot. Read after a lot of men. And I know I've been criticized for that, but people have to get over it because I'm not. Carl G. Johnson, a man from Beckley, I mean, he was a great theologian, great preacher. He wrote a couple of books. And uh, he, he said in one of his books, when I first got called to the ministry, man, God put some good stuff in my hand. He said, look, every preacher ought to be like a, like, a, like a dairy farmer. He ought to milk a lot of cows, turn his own butter. He ought to be like a bee. He ought to, he ought to gather a lot, of, a lot of pollen, but make his own honey. 
Man, that stuck with me and I still believe it today. Listen to what the Word of God says about it. Now, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 19 tells the children of Israel to come out of Egypt. They would foot them out Sinai. And Moses, in verse 3, went up to God and called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, Tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, how I bear you up on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now, God promised them the land of Israel, but God's intent was to bring him unto himself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, keep my covenant, and watch this, then you shall be a peculiar, say the word, treasure unto me. Above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This treasure is the descendants of Abraham. It is the Jews, the Hebrews, the Israelites. You can call them pretty much what you want to be. But I'm going to tell you, God says they're my treasure. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 135, look at this. One more and we'll move. Psalm 135 and verse 4, I believe it is. Listen to what he says. I mean, I love it. Listen, friend. I love it when the Word of God's so clear that even I can understand it. When 134 or 135 and 4, For the Lord had chosen Jacob which is another name for Israel unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. I like that. You see, the Bible clearly identifies who the treasure is. As I've already told you, God called Ur, Abraham, Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And from his descendants, he brought up a nation out of the, out of the nation of his, Egypt. He established that people at the crossroads of three continents, on a natural land bridge on the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and that nation is the nation of Israel. Did y'all know it was a natural land bridge? To the west of the uh, nation of Israel is the Mediterranean Sea. To the east is the Arabian Desert. And you know what God did? Attaching Europe, attaching uh, Asia, and attaching Africa. He put a little strip of land i.e. a land bridge, right there, south of Turkey, north of Libya or Sudan. I don't know where it's at. I can't see it in my mind on the map. Uh, north of Egypt, that would work. A little land bridge. And you know why? Because God wants the message to go out to all the world that there's one true God that people can be saved by and know personally. And put the nation of Israel right there with a message of salvation by grace through faith. I'll tell you, God's an amazing God. You see, it was there God gave to His people and hence to the world two things that we love today. Number one, His written word. And number two, His living word. Because it was there that God who was in the beginning, who was the word, who was with God, became flesh and dwelt among us. But you know what happened? You know what happened? Israel failed. Israel rejected God's offer. Now when I started this message, I gave you a, a general outline of the book of Matthew. And I'll do it very briefly, very quickly here. The Old Testament closes with the promise of a kingdom to come. God gave two specific covenants. And he gave more, but two that I want to emphasize. He gave one to Abraham. He gave one to David. To Abraham, he promised his seed a land. 
to David. He promised his seed to sit upon the throne of David and to David a kingdom over which his seed would rule forever. Can I tell you, neither of those covenants have been fulfilled. Watch my next word. Yet. But they're going to be. Now when Jesus came, Matthew begins the New Testament. A Jew writing to the Jews about a king. Guess who he find, where we find the record of, of the three wise men coming to uh, give gifts to the king. I said gold and silver the first time I preached this, but it was gold and, and myrrh and frankincense. They came to Jerusalem. You say, why? Because Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. The palace of Herod was there. Hey, you would come to the palace if you were seeking a prince who was going to be a king. Y'all with me? Y'all know the rest of it. You go down to chapter 10. After that, he had given the law of the kingdom in chapter 5, 6, and 7, proved that he could not only speak the law, but he had power as a king, uh, and he proved it by the ten miracles that he performed in those chapters nine, 8 and 9. Chapter 10, he sent out a delegation. And you know who he sent it to? Only, emphasized only, to the lost house of the sheep of Israel. And you know what they did? They rejected him. They rejected him. Since they rejected him, he rejected them. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, 9, and 30 says, uh, he, he gave it, he changed from a national invitation to an inv individual invitation. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Sir, ma'am, if you come here lost today, you don't have to leave that way. That's what that says. It's exactly what that means. And look what he did in chapter 13. He said, now look, I'm going away. They've rejected me. In fact, they're going to crucify me. I'm going to be buried, and on the third day, I'm going to come up out from among the dead. I'm going away for a, for, for a while, but I'll come again. And during that period of time, Matthew 13 tells us what was to happen. And you want me to tell you what was to happen? That treasure that was found was hit again. Look, look, isn't that a paradox? We understand from the Scriptures that the hid treasures of the nation of Israel. Look at what he said in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, and verses 1 and 2. It won't take us a second, and I am almost done now. I'm not kidding you this time. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, looked to, he had, looked to whom he addressed his general letters to, to the saints scattered abroad. He's talking to his people. He's talking to the nation of Israel. That in 70 A.D., in fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus Christ gave in Luke 21 and 24, that they would be scattered throughout all the world in the diaspora, it began 70 A.D. when Titus entered into Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, killed multitudes of Jews, and they were scattered into all the earth. Now, the two places that most Jews are found today are in New York and in Israel. And you all know for the first time in the history of, of the new, newly established nation of Israel since May 14, 1948, there's more Jews in the land than there is in New York. Now, that's important. They're there blind spiritually. Go with me quick to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. We'll bear this out. Some of you all have been in the study on... Wednesday night, know this passage is pretty 
ought to be pretty familiar with you. Man, I love the Word of God. Look what he said in verses 11 and following. This is the great parable, or this is the great record of prophecy of the valley of dry bones. In this you'll see a progression, a process. Israel is back in the land, but not like they're going to be. They're back in the land blind. Friend, I'm telling you, not too long off after it gets real bad. I hate to say that. Two-thirds of them through the tribulation are going to die. It's going to get real good for them. It's going to get real good. Ezekiel 37, listen. Then then he said, meaning God, unto me, meaning Ezekiel, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dry and our hope is lost. We're cut off from our parts. Therefore prophesy unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves, cause you to come up out of your graves, and bring you into the land of Israel. Do you all know that Jeremiah prophesied that there would be a day that the nation of Israel would put almost out of their memory the fact that God brought the nation out of Egypt? You say, why? Because there would be another exodus coming from the north part so great and so uh, significant that it, would, that it would overcome and excite them more uh, than them being brought out of Egyptian captivity. I wish I knew where that passage was in Jeremiah. Didn't think about it while I was studying. The Holy Spirit didn't remind me until now. And I guess he wouldn't give me the passage, the chapter, so maybe you can go home and read Jeremiah and find out yourself. But that's exciting. That's exciting. How many of y'all were here when, when, when uh, if I'm remembering right now, when uh, Reagan said to Gorbachev, tear that wall down, and they began to bring the Jews out of the Soviet bloc by the thousands. Y'all remember that? They, they, they did it on the wings of eagles. Hey, Jesus is coming soon, friend. And you say, preacher, it's been 50 years or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm 69. That's a long time to me, but for God, for God and His plan, that's not long. Jesus said three times, Revelation 22, Behold, I come quickly, behold, I come quickly, surely I come quickly. He's not meaning it's going to come like we would think quick, but once it starts, it will happen quickly. Are you all with me? Okie doke. It's an amazing thing what's going on. You see, John, you don't have to turn there, 111. The Bible said Jesus came to his own. His own received him not. And when he came to the land, he knew where the treasure was and where God planned to make himself known and glorified in all the earth. But look, let me give you an illustration. Maybe because Debbie and I have been out in cowboy country a couple of weeks ago. This one I thought, you, you all remember, y'all remember watching cowboy movies? I love especially the black and whites. Love the black and whites. And y'all remember some old prospector would go out and he'd strike him a gold mine. And all of a sudden it hit him. I'm not laid a claim on this yet. What would he do? He'd hide. Would he not? He'd hide that bag of gold. He'd, he'd hide the fact that he had found him a good place. And he'd run to the SA office as hard as he could. Or the land office, excuse me, and make a claim. Here's where the message hits its height in my opinion. Can I tell you what the Word of God says? Listen, listen to what he said in Matthew 13, 43 again. Now look, I mean, I mean, if you look at this, you think, well, that doesn't make any sense. But boy, we begin to think about it, it makes all the sense of the world. 
He, he came now, he said, it's likened unto a, a, a man that found a treasure. And when he found it, he hid it. Now watch this. And for the joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buys the land. Isn't that amazing? You see, after Jesus presented himself to his people, they blasphemed him. They denied him. They rejected him. They scoffed him, mocked him, crucified him. But you know what? Jesus didn't lose his joy. He did not lose his joy. Look what he said in the book of Hebrews 12 and 2. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down on the right hand of the Father. Isn't that amazing? Who for the joy. Hey, can I tell y'all I'm looking at his joy? Isn't that amazing? It, does it mean anything to you to think and to know that you cause joy to God the Father? Do you know the Word of God says that it become Him in bringing many sons and daughters in uh, to the Father? I don't know exactly how the last part of that verse is. Do y'all know that you make Jesus... No, I, I, don't, I don't understand this, but I don't know what the Word of God... If I look at a, if I tell Debbie she's becoming, what's that mean? And the and the and the fake jewelry that she wears all the time that she loves that adorns her, right? That that becomes her. Anybody ever told you that's becoming? That, that's a compliment. Now, see, I don't get this. How can a lump of clay? Make Jesus Christ look more becoming than He already is. He's the rose of chair and the lily of the valley. I don't understand that, but it says it became Him in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Isn't that amazing? Well, turn with me to the Revelation chapter 5 and I'll quit. Come on, Judy. We'll start playing yet, but you can get ready. Get those fingers limbered up. When I was reading and studying, I was reading after John Phillips, and he, he included three words that I'm borrowing. I'm going to make a sentence, a small sentence out of all of them. The words are obvious where he took the idea from, biblically, so I added the scripture reference. But John Phillips, a great man, a great man. I love to read after him. He's taught me much. He's confirmed much. But he, he used three words. He used creation, he used Calvary, and he used... Uh, conquest. Now listen, friend. I want you to know that this world, this field, verse 38 of the same chapter, Matthew 13, says that the field is the world. Jesus is by creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's not a rock, a stick, a stone, a branch, a bush, a, a, a twig of grass, a blade of wheat or tares that doesn't belong to God Almighty, to Jesus Himself. It's His by creation. Number one, I like this one. Or number two, it's His by Calvary. You know what Peter said? Look, for as much as you know that you are not redeemed with such things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. You know, we shed that, didn't he? He didn't spill it. 
He shed it. I don't like preachers who use the word spilled. I don't like songs that has the word spilled in them. He shed it. It wasn't no accident when he went to Calvary. It wasn't an accident when he bowed his head and cried, lifted up his voice, said, Father, into thy hands I commend thy spirit, my spirit. No, no, so it was by Calvary. By Calvary. And that's what we're going to look at here in Revelation 5 and then quit. But I want to give you another one. It's going to be by conquest. According to Revelation 19, he's coming again. You can look at verses 11 and following, down to about verse 20, I think it is. And you'll see that he's coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want to read Revelation 5. Go ahead, Judy, if you don't care. John began to write this chapter. He's already in heaven. He was, a, he was a, an observer. He was an eyewitness, if you'll allow me to say it that way. He got there by translation in chapter 4. Heard a voice, saw a door open, and immediately he was standing before the throne. And while he was there, he saw a lot of great things. Chapter 5, he saw the angels. And you and I, you and I, friend, those robed in white, casting our crown, I have defeated the one that sat on the throne and praising him for creation. Chapter 4, all of us again will praise him for salvation. Listen to what he said in verses 1 and following. And I saw the right hand of him that sat on the throne, a book written within, and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaim with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof? John said, No man in heaven, nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither loose the seals. You said, Jesus was a man, but ah, oh, my friend, ah, oh, my friend, he was much more than a man. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to loose thereof. One of the elders, me weep not, John, is the unspoken. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, uh, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. And John said, I beheld. Now watch this, folks. This puts me on shouting ground every time I read it. And lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been. You know what the word resurrection means? It means a standing up of the body. There stood the lamb that had been slain. He had been crucified. He had shed his blood. When he found the field, you know what he did after they rejected him? He hid it again. He put it in the graves of the nation. You say, why did he do that? Can I tell you all, God's wisdom is displayed in the diaspora of the nation of Israel. No other nation in all the world has ever been preserved like the nation of Israel. There have been nations come and go. There are nations mentioned in the Word of God, but you can't find any record of except the historical record. You can find nothing about their presence. But you know what God did? God said, I'll disperse them. I'll keep them all out of the ghettos. I'll keep them all away from Hitler's ovens. We'll not put them in one land where they can drop a bomb on them. I'm, I'm just trying to illustrate. I'll make sure that there's going to be a remnant. There's going to be my people when it is time to bring them back into the land so that I can keep my promise to Abraham Isaac. Are y'all getting this? He said, there stood a land that had been slain. Look at what they say at the bottom. I, I, I want to read this in verse 12. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy of the Lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. The man, we know who it is, it's Jesus. He was identified in the 
interpretation of the first parable, the parable of the sower and of the kingdom. Can I tell you what Jesus found? He, he knew what was in the field. That's why he was willing to go to the cross. He knew that there was a hid treasure. He knew that there was a pearl of great price. And we'll look at that next week, the Lord willing. He knew that there was a bride before he said. Can I ask you something? Are, are you a part of that pearl of great price? You, you're, not a part, you're not a Jew, so you can't be a part of the hidden treasure. You're a Gentile. If you're saved, that doesn't really matter. You're one in Christ. You're a Gentile, no longer matters. You're the church of God. You're the pearl of great price. Are you ready for His return today? If He were to come today, if He were to come this week, you know what, Jesus, listen, He sold all that He had. It says He selleth all, th- all that He had. You know what that means when it says that He sold all? It means that He gave His life. Listen, folks. He gave His life for me and you. I wasn't worthy. I was His enemy. I was his enemy. I had enmity against God, and so did you. I'm not putting myself in a bad place. We all did, according to this Two things. To the believer, well, I'll tell you what. We ought to leave out here. We, we ought to leave out here stirred up and say, look, I'm, I'm going to run all the way home. If you're...